0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire podcast network as well as the HubSpot podcast network. Now, the HubSpot podcast network has incredible shows like The Hustle Daily. It's hosted by Zachary Crockett, Jacob Cohen, Rob Litterst, and Juliet Bennett-Ryla. Now, The Hustle Daily brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business, tech, and news, and it happens daily. So if you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest, and some of these topics are interesting to you, then you're going to love the Hustle Daily. Uh, Topics like Amazon's grocery strategy, the rise of the ugly shoe economy, is AI the secret to love, and America's sleep deficit problem. So if these are topics you want to get into and you love hearing up to date content, whenever you wake up in the morning... Go listen to The Hustle Daily wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Anthony DiOrio. He is the co-founder of Ethereum. Now, over the course of three decades, Anthony has launched more than 10 companies and invested tens of millions of dollars in numerous industries, including blockchain. Anthony immediately recognized the paradigm shift from the age of computing to the age of information and more recently, the age of value. In late 2013, he co-founded Ethereum, the decentralized smart contract platform that at its peak hit $150 billion in market cap. Currently, he is the founder and CEO of Decentral, a Toronto-based innovation hub and software development company focused on decentralized technology. Decentral is a maker of Jack's Liberty, a digital asset platform that has empowered millions of people with the tools they need to control their digital lives. Well-versed in cryptocurrency, blockchain, finance, and business, he has advised a number of companies, and as the inaugural Chief Digital Officer for the TMX Group, the parent company of the Toronto Stock Exchange, he has explored ways to make exchanges operate faster and cheaper through blockchain technology. In 2018, he further distinguished himself as the winner of the EY Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year Award. As the winner of the FinTech Leader of the Year award and made Toronto Life's list of the 50 most influential people in 2018. Currently, he is working on a new project called Perfect Formula. So, what do we speak about? Well, we spoke about his origin story. We spoke about the problems that he was trying to solve when he started Ethereum. We spoke about crypto, blockchain. We spoke about financial gain versus underlying technology. We spoke about the future of the entire industry, where it's going, uh, what we have to do to make sure that the crypto blockchain DeFi world moves in the right direction. Then we spoke about some of the things that he's working on now with Perfect Formula and how he's trying to re-envision how we do business, how we compensate stakeholders, shareholders, how we place importance on certain things versus other things when we're scaling a business uh, properly and uh, ethically. So he's an incredible wealth of knowledge from everything business to tech, to crypto, to blockchain, to future, to uh, DeFi. Uh, Let's jump right into it. This is an awesome interview. I was super happy to sit down with him. This is Anthony DiOrio. He is the co-founder of Ethereum.
1: I go back to I'm when I was eight years old. Uh, I was born in 1975, so in the early '80s, my, my dad brought home a, a computer. This was kind of the the dawn of the personal computing age. Uh, people didn't have computers at home at that time, and uh, that was really the the thing that's uh, that that uh, really did it for me uh, as a kid. It, it just since then I've been known as a computer guy in the family, and uh, taking the computers apart and building them back up, and, and going to camp for computers and rocketry and that really was a defining moment in my life was my dad uh, who used to work for IBM back in the day and used to do a number of different things from driving cabs to uh, uh, eventually settling in and, and uh, starting a, a window, manu- a door manufacturing company, a sliding patio door manufacturing company, which is what he had for 30 years. And uh, most of my life, uh, That that's what he was doing, but he was an entrepreneur and bringing home that computer and really, really set things off for me. So uh, in, in my teens, uh, uh, I was uh, using modems to communicate with other computers before the dawn of the internet. Um, <clears throat> when uh, uh, when the internet took off, I it was like wow I can now connect to to websites. It wasn't just connecting to one other person's uh, computer, which at the time uh, before the internet, that's what you would do: is you would log into one other guy's computer, and if someone else tried to log on to the same computer, you get a busy signal, and Early so that days. was kind of the precursor to the internet. So, yeah, it was it was uh, I followed the whole modem speed um, thing, which went from like 300 baud modems to 600 to 900 to 9,600, 2,400 to 40. So there was this whole evolution of speeds that were going on where, you know, it would take like sometimes a minute to download an image. And, uh, so that, that was really was my life was sports and, and computers growing up. I grew up North of Toronto. It's about a half an hour in a place called, town called Richmond Hill. Um, and, uh, yeah, those were kind of the two defining things for me was, was sports and, and, uh, and computers. Uh, great family. Uh, parents were all about the family. I have a, a older brother and older sister. And um, I, when I went to university, I didn't go for computers. I went for business. My dad was an entrepreneur, and uh, I didn't want to, you know, be in, be a developer. And I didn't want to learn. I, I kind of was. That was my thing already. So I want decided to go into business. But uh, school was something I never really aligned with too much uh, going into high school and university. I really just kind of coasted through. It wasn't something that was very meaningful for me, but it's just kind of what you did when you are in my family, you know, you go to school and you get a job. And so I graduated with a marketing degree at Ryerson university and uh, a bachelor of commerce degree and, uh, um, went into marketing for a while, didn't care for it too much. I, I learned back then that I didn't really like, um, a lot of marketing is kind of to get someone to do something or influence them to kind of create a purchase or do something that, that you're trying to promote or push and it didn't really align with me. And after a couple of years of that, uh, not realizing that's something that I wanted to pursue, I eventually started working for the family business and my, my dad's business and his his cousin his his cousin and, and brother's business. Uh, and uh, the four of them had a sliding padded door manufacturing company and learned a lot of my other business skills there. and. Through my, my teens and into my 20s, I had a few other startups and businesses. My my first thing that I did was setting up a web design company back in the early 90s. Me and my brother set up a, a company doing logo design and doing web design right at HTML1 back in the early 90s. So um, computer was always my thing there. And then business and learning entrepreneurial skills with the family business until 2008 when my dad decided to, to sell the business and, and his brothers decided to sell it. and he came to me and said, You know, what do you want to do? You, you probably don't want to be working with the same, with the owners that are buying it. And, and what would you like to do? And I thought about it for a while. And I decided I uh, wanted to get into something kind of green technology focused. And we had a friend who um, was the kind of the foremost leader in geothermal drilling. And uh, this is geothermal drilling where you drill holes in the ground and use the earth's temperature to heat and cool buildings. So I proceeded to buy this massive drill out of Italy, uh, went over to Italy, and my drilling company, which I started up, was, was um, we did two, two large IKEA projects in, in Italy uh, where we were using the parking lot to drill hundreds of holes in the ground that were hundreds of feet deep, and then that's what was heating and cooling the IKEA centers there. So they did two big projects there and then brought the drill to Canada and proceeded to do commercial buildings, condos, homes, Uh, At the time, there was a lot of government incentives, and it was kind of a hot thing at at the time there. Um, Over a couple years, uh, it it actually changed, and there was a lot of red tape that started to to be put onto it by the government, and the the incentives were taken off uh, through the change of government. And I'm not a fan of of government incentives. It's not something I really aligned with, but at the time, it was the two factors of uh, removal of those incentives and just the red tape that was put on that, that didn't make it really feasible anymore. And I ended up in a situation where I, I I leased a drill out to another company and and again I was in a position where okay what do I what do I really want to get into right now and from 2005 to 2010 I had some properties that I purchased and some student housing by York University that I had put together there and uh, this was uh, in 2008 2009 the housing crisis and financial crisis in the U S and I kind of thought the same thing was going to happen up here in Canada and I ended up selling my properties I did quite well with them then and I had this cash. <clears throat> And uh, along that time, my brother had got me thinking about uh, the history of money. He had been in politics. He was a counselor up in, in Richmond Hill, the same place that I, was, I grew up. And um, after getting out of, uh, out of his position, uh, he started you know, learning a lot about the history of money and, and banks. And this was, again, by the time the housing crisis, the financial crisis went. And I, I started studying economics quite a lot and got, got into that. And, I learned about the Austrian School of Economics, which is a little bit different than the Keynesian model, which is taught in universities. And the, the Austrian school is all about having sound money and it's all about uh, creating value and limited government and free markets. And and that's really what I aligned well towards. And, and I started studying and figuring out what had happened during the housing crisis and the financial crisis. And that also with, with the kind of, when government got involved with my drilling business and, and how they were impacting things there, I started to, learning a lot about about uh, you know the the a lot about debt and a lot about sound money and I, I dabbled in gold and silver for a bit in 2011 and lost about twenty five percent of what I put in there and and then uh, in 2012 when I was uh, looking for um, for some new podcasts and new listening material I came across a show called free talk live and free talk live uh, is a uh, show that's on a you know a number of radio stations in the US and On the very first show they mentioned something called bitcoin and i'd never heard of it before Um, that day i started reading into it and it was combining decentralized technologies which i was quite familiar with in terms of following the whole file sharing uh, growth from napster and kazan all the different things from there and being kind of understanding where that was and understanding the internet and it also combined economics and it combined solutions for how we could uh, empower people to, you know, be their own banks, to to empower people to understand that uh, that you could have a technology that has, uh, you know, a sound kind of cash digital cash system that uh, could have a predictable inflation rate, something that you don't have with traditional currencies. And it just right away that day um, was a major changing point in my life. And um, I would like to say the first ten years of my life was like computers. The second 2010 years was about connecting and communications with the internet and or or with the uh, modems the the third third uh, decade was kind of like um, entrepreneurship and learning business schools and the tools that I would need and then when I heard about Bitcoin it's just after I'd been studying economics and it was like a perfect storm for me to take all these things of my past and what what I had and be able to utilize it at a time that I think I thought I was prepared whereby with the internet I just wasn't there yet I was still going through university with the internet but this was like a perfect storm for me to say, this is something I'm interested in, I understand it. I think it has a lot of value and I've had a lot of hope to empower people and to um, you know, remove us potentially from the clutches of third parties, intermediary layers that, uh, that usually exist between individuals. Um, in Toronto, there was nothing that existed in terms of a community and I decided to start it. So I started the Toronto Bitcoin meetup group in 2012 I started a nonprofit called the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada in 2013, which is more of a national organization to help promote Bitcoin and to um, to discuss it with the media and with governments. And um, I the, the the meetup group I started kept growing through 2013. Uh, eventually, I set up a, a physical location at King and Spadina in Toronto called Bitcoin Decentral. Um, and I started, you know, thinking from 2012 to 2013, where, how can I provide value in this space? And um, initially, I started a, a gambling site for Bitcoin with a partner, a developer that I connected with in the U.S. And a few months later, we exited that for a few thousand Bitcoin at the time and um, then started building wallets. And uh, wallets are really the, the interface for the whole ecosystem it's the way that you can manage and move value just like the browser is the way that you can manage and move information for the internet and i got very early on that this was this was like the age of value it's it's now you can be in control of your own value and just like you had the age of information that democratized information now you have the ability to be your own bank the ability to send directly to these decentralized networks and to be able to send from peer to peer one person to the other another value anywhere anywhere around the world at very low costs and remove a lot of the, the expensive middle layers so uh, this was 2013, um, I, I then, uh, uh, at the same time I was opening Bitcoin Decentral in Toronto, uh, a gentleman named Vitalik Buterin, um, who had come to my first meetups, and I, and I got to know him over 2012 and 2013. He showed me a white paper for something called Ethereum that he had devised, and he had helped me building some wallets that I had prior, prior and um, I then, uh, along with uh, him and three others, based on the funding that I had from my prior exit, ended up uh, funding and, and founding Ethereum out of my shop, Decentral in Toronto. And uh, that's that's how Ethereum got kicked off, kicked off there. So I know I've been rambling on a bit, but that kind of takes no, you good, up man. to, to 2013 good. and uh, um, the, the the start of Ethereum. And then it's been, it was a whole world when we became the largest crowdfunded project of all time, uh, raising $18 million from 9,000 participants around the world. And that market cap has now gone up to I don't know what's what it's at these days 500 billion or something like that incredible yeah no it's just um, incredible
0: but I want to get into so I want to get into incredible. your mind and and your thought process because I think it will carry over to even what you're working on now so when you started ethereum what what problems are you trying to solve because you go big like you're trying to solve like if you're talking about removing intermediaries disrupting banking disrupting any interim that's an that's a like a, a like a monumental task that most people can't even fathom so what were you trying to solve how how did your brain work to think that this project this white paper with this developer that you met at vitalik Buterin, like that you met at this meetup could actually solve these things what was like the first iteration of ethereum and then obviously how did that change over time sure
1: so even even before Ethereum, I made it my mission to build the tools to empower people to be in control of their digital lives. Like that was the
0: that's your mission. That's,
1: that's what yeah. that's that was my mission. My mission was has always been about freedom. As I mentioned, I don't like school. I never I never like being told what to do. And um, I you know a lot of business model, models revolve around becoming an intermediary layer between two individuals who need that. That's how banks kind of came about. Was to provide a service for individuals to be able to protect their money and be able to to um, to provide services that help connect people. But as the internet would grow and as new technologies emerge, uh, the, the need for these middle layers and costly and maybe inefficient middle layers uh, becomes less and less necessary. And uh, with Bitcoin, I saw it as a, a big opportunity to help create change and empower billions of people around the world with the tools that they need to to be their own bank and to be able to send transactions where maybe they don't have the financial systems in their countries like or areas like Africa or or areas that, that that don't have the the basic things that we have in banking systems here that we're so used to, but with Ethereum it was, it was it was much different. This was now taking it beyond the financial um, ecosystem into pretty much any other uh, any other space that has intermediary layers that you can then uh, create contracts that that would uh, that individuals can create amongst themselves that can be trustworthy and transparent and can execute as they're supposed to without the the um, without kind of humans getting in the way. And the idea of, of inefficiencies, how they can be removed in areas of law, in areas of, of pretty much any business model, again, relies on these third parties that usually have centralized uh, authority to, to to do things. But uh, more and more, um, these empowering individuals and creators to to develop code that can execute uh, goes well beyond finance. And, and that's where I saw was the kind of the, the, the light that went off when Vitalik showed this was uh, Bitcoin is great for what it does. It enables you to send and receive something, but you can't really kind of put in a, if this, then that, and then if this happens, do this. And and that was really the, the game-changing aspect that people started to realize that Ethereum could have the opportunity to create a really valuable change in, in many, many different other sectors, not just in, in finance. And that's really what, what what got me excited. It's what uh, when I brought Charles Hoskinson in to show him the paper there and got him on board with the project. This is Charles that runs Cardano. And, Uh, a few others when we we got all together we realized very soon after because of the amount of attention it was getting that this was something that could be really big and uh, we we ended up spending the next year carrying it out doing the crowd sale and then over the next year building out the product and launching in 2015 and kind of the the rest is history we've got um, amazing growth of, of developers and community and this was a combination of thousands and thousands of people coming together in an open source protocol that uh, just uh, is, 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 has been being used by just pretty much every fortune 500 company or companies that end up getting in space or using Ethereum for what it is they're doing and it's led to the whole NFT space, it's led to the decentralized autonomous organization space which is starting to, to bear fruit and it's just um, it's a much more utilized and uh, um, uh, It's just going to do so much more than what you can do with Bitcoin, and and that's that's why people have kind of uh, rallied around it, and it's grown to where it is today. I just want to
0: take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder, and smarter with intuitive visual workflows and bot builders. You can create scalable automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat. So your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content, not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are. Which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at hubspot.com. And do you do you find that we're late in the game in terms of like actually implementing this tech, or are we still early on? Do you feel like there's a lot more uh, that we could do with it?
1: Yeah, I think you know when we st- when we started it, we. You know, we knew what DAOs were, uh, had the potential to be, and these are decentralized autonomous organizations. They're kind of organizations that run in the cloud for those that don't know, that don't have jurisdictions, that don't necessarily know who's behind these these, these new type of corporations. Uh, uh, that was something that we knew was gonna be massive down the road. And, and NFTs, I mean, I've, NFTs have been something that I've been you know thinking a lot about for over five years, really. and And the power that they're going to have to help empower creators and create digital assets that are unique um, whereas before you couldn't have these digital assets because everything could be copied mm-hmm. and duplicated. And now you have Bitcoin that created a non-duplicatable currency. Uh, and now you have these, these digital unique assets, collectibles that the artists and creators are putting together now in order to, to create digital value. So we kind of saw what the future was going to be in those things, but there's just like with the internet, you're, you're going to, over the next number of years, there are going to be consistent things that are going to emerge and new ideas that are going to lead to things you never even thought mm-hmm. about yet. So that's I, I think you know on a time frame, we're still very, very early on. Um, it's exciting what's to come down the road. A lot of it hasn't been probably thought about yet, but what's has been thought about is, is super exciting and just getting off the ground as well. I
0: love that. And, and I guess like the point that I'm trying to to get to is the mar- like crypto as a market, it's, a lot, it's really driven with a lot of speculation as well. So I'm wondering if it's more like the underlying tech and like practical applications, use cases that are driving the technology forward or is it more speculation and f- potential financial gain that's driving this industry forward
1: so it's it's a combination of both and over time i think you're going to see more and more of the utility aspect that's going to lead to more and more of the value increases and that's that's where the value comes from in my opinion it's you know when we started off we had 9000 people that that entrusted us uh, with their bitcoin to then turn that into the technology that we were creating and they they took a gamble and a risk by giving us that money up front in a pre-sale of a product that we didn't deliver till a year later which was which was the plan but you know they were they were speculating that or you know it's speculation is just another term for you know taking a risk or it's a term for investing there's it's yeah. a lot of it's just terminology but Early on, there was a lot of speculation. There's still a lot of speculation, but more and more every month, you're seeing utility come out of it. You're seeing how the the, the different sectors and different industries are going to be radically changed from the technologies. So it's it's it is still speculation, but it's it's people also that realize where it's going to go, and it's always about thinking ahead of the curve. And that's something that I think I, I pride myself on 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 being able to see where things are heading in the future, whether it be business models that are deficient or, or whether it be where the crypto space was going to come in and be able to start offering potentially alternatives for government current currencies. It's all about staying ahead of the curve and understanding where things are going based on where things have gone in the past and making sure you have the tools and assets that you can put it together in order to, to utilize what your knowledge is. So there is a lot of speculation. I'd say most of it is still on speculation, but there's a lot of good utility coming out. And there's a lot of good people Realizing that their 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 jobs and their areas of where they they're in are going to be radically changed, and it's important for them to stay on it. And, and a lot of people are betting on Ethereum and other similar technologies, and it's and that's why it's growing. It's growing because there is a realization that these things are very powerful. They're very empowering. Um, they 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 could be really efficient, and uh, once they scale and grow beyond some of the, the barriers they may have now, watch out! It. It's 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 going to be really radically changing the world.
0: Yeah, um, and like now you see like um, obviously El Salvador has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, and these are these are more like actual uh, fixing addition like like existing currency problems that countries have. Um, I know that Zimbabwe uh, is looking at adopting Bitcoin as legal tender, so you're starting to see some like like practical application that are like, that are really changing how a country can function. Um, Definitely. but, yeah. um, okay. So let's, let's walk through, you know, your, your story. So after Ethereum, um, I know that you, uh, worked on Decentral for a bit, but then you left those or walk me through how you, how you left what you're working on with Ethereum and Decentral and then what you wanted to focus on going forward because I know that you're working on a new project now, and I think it's actually very interesting and it totally syncs up with like what your vision and your mission is. Um, so walk me through that process and and what we're doing like sure. right now.
1: So in, in uh, I left Ethereum in 2015. Um, you know I was one of the, the initial funders. We had also Joseph Lubin who runs a company called Conses- Consensus, an organization. We've had a, we funded the operations of it. Until the crowd sale, and then the money came in for the crowd sale, and it kind of came down to the developers carrying out the the mission. Um, and there was there was a little bit of the restriction friction back in the day. There was a, there was eight founders at that time. Um, it was difficult to get decisions made. And what happened is kind of the developer team, um, you know, it was about them carrying things out, and and they they kind of took things by the reins and 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 worked towards getting the product out and um, and Charles ended up leaving the project and Amir, one of the other founders. And then over time, Joseph and myself also knew that the writing was on the wall there. And um, with Ethereum, it kind of opened my doors to, to things or my mind to things other than Bitcoin, which at the time before Ethereum, everything was Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And then there was Ethereum. And then it's like, well, Ethereum's going to spawn so many other organizations and projects um, that are going to be run on Ethereum and other technologies. So it's not just about one technology. And I like to be very inclusive in, in my mindset with things. and. So the idea was there's going to be thousands of these things out there and they all need interfaces they all need ways to send and receive and connect to the network so I continued building the wallets that uh, and creating the first multi-currency multi-platform wallets in the space that wouldn't just support Bitcoin or Ethereum but also would support Litecoin and, and Dogecoin and, and eventually you know thousands of these technologies so in 2015 I continued uh, building building uh, wallets and technology and infrastructure to, to connect it all together and I launched a product called Jax and um, Jax, I think launched in 2016. We launched a, um, a successor called Jax Liberty, and really again building the tools to empower people to be in control of their digital lives, their money, their communication, their identities—the three pillars that I've always built things on. Um, I think it's really important to own your identity. It's really important to own your money, and it's really important to own your communications, and and those three together are done in a decentralized fashion where the user is in full control is a very powerful product, and that's what, what we built is is we built wallets that that um, put the, the keys and, and, and allow the individual user to, to actually fully own his assets. We don't ever take custodianship of it, of, of any of the the, the 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 digital assets. It's actually fully owned by the users and they only they hold the keys. But what we do is connect them to all the different protocols and the platforms like Bitcoin and Ethereum. So that's where I, that's kind of been my main focus as CEO of Decentral over the years. And um, just just you know, since 2018, when the markets really started hitting down in 2018, after the big ICO craze that happened in 2017, I started reevaluating what it is I want to do with my life. And um, i have gotten to the point where you know I I, I didn't need to be, um, you know, think, thinking about about uh, you know setting myself up for the rest of my life. Things were pretty good at the time, but I realized that more and more of the, the more freedom that I was seeking actually, the less freedom I actually had. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, when you become your own bank, you got certain responsibilities, and you no longer have your your money sitting in a in a bank somewhere that that's being secured by a bank. And it's not black and white. Uh, one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned in my life is that nothing's black and white, and there's kind of gray areas of everything. And there's always dials that you have to turn up and down. And yes, it's important to be in control of your of your life, but also sometimes it can be good to have others that are that are offering services to help you along the way. And um, it was a, it was an eye opening experience. Uh, when you know it, Ethereum started getting really, really, really big, and just uh, the attention that we were getting got really massive, and uh, it just uh, you know it was I was at a point in my life I'm like I don't want something to happen here that could really make a game-changing life on my family and things. You know I I make wallets we don't hold the keys but something could still happen there that could that could could cause some issue and there's other risk vectors uh, to be considered of and I ended up uh, rethinking what my mission was and spent a lot of time thinking about three things my what, my why, and my how, and those three things I ended up figuring out where my my what, you know, what is it I want to do with, with my life, and now that I've done what I've done and I have the resources to continue to do what I'm doing, what is it that I really want to do, and what, And then it's like, well, why do I want to do the thing that I want to do, and then how am I going to do it, and over time, of really thinking about this, and uh, I decided to, you know, what makes me happy is being in service, it's 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 the idea that, you know, what am I good at, and what can I do to offer to the world that I, that I with what I'm good at, and and it's to be to serve as many people as possible and, and to help people and, and that's I figured out why do I like to be in service and I love hosting events and doing things like that and but it's generally because I it makes me happy to see other people happy so the idea of what is it I want to do is to serve why I want to do it is because it makes me happy and then how do I do it is is something I call perfect formula it's a it's a general framework that I came up to solve problems it's a it's a general problem solving formula that uh, runs around the basis of creating winning situations for as many stakeholders as you can possibly imagine in what it is you're doing. Um, it's a framework that I've developed based on principles, processes, and tools I've developed over my lifetime. And it, it just kind of revolves around, you have a problem or there's something that you want to achieve. And it takes through, I take a framework through it where I say, okay, who are what, what is the problem you're trying to do? Who are your stakeholders? And by stakeholders, I mean anybody that you could potentially have in the mix that could provide value to you in what you're trying to do something where you're trying to, to create um, uh, movements of people all aligned towards common interests and common goals so that people realize by joining you on what you're doing, their life gets better. So I spent time putting together this framework that kind of is how I've run my businesses in the past and, and ended up coming up with something that I think is pretty powerful and something that I, that I think can, I can utilize as a problem solver and as a leader to take my framework to the world and no matter what sector it's in and be able to utilize the framework to create better results that create more situations of winning for more people and doesn't disclude people from the equation because a lot of times uh, business formulas and business models, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not efficient enough for, and they're, they have deficiencies which disclude people and those disclosions of people leads to people that aren't happy with what you're doing or leads to people that you're not creating a win for. And if you're not thinking ahead at how you can actually provide value to as many stakeholders as possible, over time, you're either gonna get disrupted with change that comes about because you haven't thought as good as someone else does and comes down the road, or you're gonna get people that that are feeling that uh, your, your, your mission, whether it be to return, uh, maximum returns to shareholders, which is what a lot of companies are, are kind of forced to do, that's what their mandate is, it usually comes at an expense of something else, whether it's other people or it comes at uh, an expense to the planet And I think if we can move the dial from deficient models, which are maybe let's say 50% efficient, and they're still not serving 50% of the population, how do we move it to 60% are being served? How do we move to 70%? How do we create models of aligned people that come together to create 90% models where people are realizing that by joining your product or joining your company or joining your mission, their day-to-day life is getting better. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with with my framework is is bring to the table that there are better ways to, to have business models, there's better ways to do things that don't necessarily rely on advertising models, which create, uh, in my opinion, a lot of misinformation and, and people that, that are that are taken down these paths because advertisers are paying money to get eyeballs on something, which leads to you know this this attention economy that we have and the amount of screen time that's out there and even models that that collect user information and then are are allowing that information somehow to get to get uh, exposed and people aren't in control of their of their stuff so. I think there's a big deficiency in business models, which usually stem from having to return money to investors and people having to squeeze things that eventually uh, lead to problems and lead to a situation where, like we've had with, with Facebook, uh, you know, governments questioning, hey, your business models are leading to these problems here. And and, and it's not good. And, and, and why are you doing it this well? It's like, well, that's, that's all we that's really quo. Well. That's, all that's all what about. everyone does. Oh, that's yeah. a status quo. And we haven't thought differently. And we need to think different. You know, I I created models for my wallet that don't hold customer funds because I realized when you're holding stuff of other people's, you're now responsible for it. And I don't want to be responsible for it. So how do you think differently to create wallets where the user is holding the key and I'm not holding the key? We've never used advertising in our models. I I think generally people don't like advertising and there's better ways to do things. So our models for our wallets are we create partnerships and provide services that connect individuals with, with, with companies that provide good services and we provide the interface and kind of the thing that connects it all together. So I believe there's better ways to do things than the business models that exist. I think the business models that exist lead to a lot of problems the world has, and it leads to exclusion of people. And it leads to the situation where a few are maybe being served, but a lot aren't. And when you have that type of situation, you don't get a lot of people coming together to create movements when everybody feels that they're in this together. So I kind of want to be a, a leader and a problem solver, because I think that's two things that the world is sorely totally lacking these days. And using my frameworks that I've developed, I want to serve as many people as possible with what I'm bringing out as perfect formula, which is really a framework I want to get out to the world that's has no other intention rather than to just be in service. It's not something I'm doing going to plan on doing for profit. In fact, if I was to enter that into the game, I think I would lose credibility from a lot of people that believe that it's the same type of motive that I'm trying to, to fix or trying to work with. So it's really important to have trust. It's really important to have social capital, trust capital, you need wealth capital. You need all these things to come together to create a perfect formula to be able to do what it is you want to do and check all the boxes in your business and create a situation where no one can say you didn't think of that and what you're doing and your your solutions are creating more inclusivity. They're creating more people coming together to on common goals and interests and you're creating new solutions for incumbents to even come along because you can't exclude them in the mix either. You have to bring everybody along in what you do and I want to help be a catalyst for
0: that. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Trade Coffee. Now, I'm a coffee lover, and I just found out a really... uh unnerving stat and fact about coffee 90% of coffee that you buy from a grocery store is actually stale you heard that right it blew my mind the coffee you know and love and you go buy from your grocery store needs an upgrade and that's not the way coffee is actually supposed to taste so instead of buying this old same coffee that you're already getting that's stale trade coffee sends you fresh coffee as much as you want as fast as you drink it it's going to replenish but it's always going to be fresh so trade sells fresh roasted and ethically sourced beans from america's best independent roasters they ship free to you as often as you like whole or ground whether you're a coffee nerd or you just want a better daily cup trades real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and your brewing method they actually set up a quiz so that you can answer some information and they'll have a better idea of what coffee actually fits your particular profile and they also guarantee that if uh, you don't love your first bag that they send you they're going to replace it for free they've been featured by new york times wired gq they've delivered over five million bags of fresh coffee i'm a huge coffee nerd and any way i can get better coffee that i regularly enjoy i'm game for The subscription is no hassle. You can skip shipments, you can change your frequency, you can cancel anytime you want. And for all Success Story podcast listeners, they set up an intro offer to get you off the ground. They're offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash success story. But you have to get started. So to start, take their quiz, figure out what coffee works for you. Go to drinktrade.com slash success story. Start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash success story, get $20 off your first three bags. And do you, and I guess if a business, like say, say an executive is listening to this right now and they're like, we are entrenched in the system that we already have. We have investors. It could be early stage. Even we have investors or we're larger, we're public. We, you know, we have, we have shareholders. We have to, uh, deliver to like, how do we move in the right direction? What are steps that you can take? Because obviously, if you're starting a business with this in mind, you can take actionable steps from day one, and I'd still love to hear what those are. But if you already are operating a business, how do you move the needle towards something that is more inclusive? Because this is obviously not the norm at all.
1: No, and I'm a pretty optimistic and positive person. I think there's always ways that you can create change. And for me, I learned a long time ago, I don't want to ever hold people's money. I don't take investor money for any of my projects. The last time I did that was with Ethereum when we when we raised that capital for the project and it was a little out of my hands to do it the way I necessarily want to do it because I was with this group of people that were putting this amazing thing together. I didn't have as much say I was, I would have on my own, but since then, and this was 2014, I don't take investor money. Um, I, I figure out ways to fund things myself in ways that I then stay in control, that I can go in the pace that I want with the speed that I want to carry out what I want instead of having to be consistent and considering of investors along the way, which, you know it, it's a lot of time people have to do it and I understand that and I invest in a lot of projects, so it's not a it's not necessarily something I say is you know for me principally I, I i don't do it but um what I would say is that a lot of founders will lose their way and lose their mission and what they've actually set up to do because they've taken investor money, and then that investors have certain timelines or horizons that they want and and it ends up, it can, it can really detract from the goal of what you're trying to achieve. And then maybe you're losing your mission of what you started out. And then you're kind of in the system and the way that things generally work. So I always like to say, you know, I don't like normal. I don't like doing things normally. And it makes you think differently. And, it's, and if I don't like this, this, and this, and I don't want to be under someone else's thumb, could there be another way that I'm able to do this where I'm figuring out how to to do things myself or or do things differently? If If the way things have always been done, if they never existed, what would you do? That's the way I look at it. You know, the, the, the general flow of raising capital and doing all these other things, or the general flow of, well, if I'm a bank, I got to hold someone's money, but then I'm taking their their, I got to worry about it to being stolen. I got to worry. Think differently. Think if, if the ways of making money didn't exist right now, what would you do? You know, if the ways of sitting between individuals, technology can replace that now and replace what it is you're doing in your job, and that's potentially could happen. But what are you going to do? So don't be complacent potentially in what you're doing right now and start thinking, if this was to happen, what am I going to do? And it, it allows you to think differently. It, it allows you to think outside of the normal box of, of this is going to change. Do I want to be the person that's going to figure out what that change is going to be and how am I going to get there? So it's thinking differently. It's trying to think in different lenses of, of if this exi- didn't exist now, what would I do in the future? and saying it might not be the easiest way to do it. And it might be really challenging, but I do believe there's a solution to everything. And there's a better way to do things. And let's keep moving the dial towards better situations and better business models and better experiences um, that, 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 that um, allow people to be more served and to have problems in their lives solved and improve people's lives. Because at the end of the day for me, the, the big thing is to improve life. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my, my ultimate goal is, what can I do to improve life as a whole? And for me, it's using my frameworks and being a leader and solving problems and using my frameworks, which is based on principles, tools, and processes, and sticking to the principles that I've always adhered to, and, and that's where how I want to move. And, and, and showing people that. that
0: they can be successful with these tools, these principles, because you're you're living it. That's that's the th- that's the thing too. Like I think that a lot of people are very short sighted, and they say, "Well, yeah, that that's nice in theory," but then you look at someone like yourself that has had exits, that has had success, and it's like, "Why why not?" If I if I can do it, let me just lay out the framework that I've adopted my entire life, and then yeah, that that's where I yeah, see it you being you, like incredibly valuable, like being an evangelist for a better way of doing things.
1: Yeah, and it's not just the people that that maybe are looking at other companies. It's like even the large comp- the companies out there, the companies that are relying on business models right now that have maybe shot themselves in the foot because they didn't see years before how their business models are going to lead to their potential demise. Deficiencies in models leads to other people coming in and 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 the. The more efficient you are, the more you're checking all the boxes, the more you're creating situations that are bringing more people along, The more you're creating wins for more people, the, the longer you're going to be around, the more that you are going to stay ahead of others. So I, it's, it's the lack of foresight that I've seen with some of the biggest companies in the world that haven't realized maybe that maybe it's not a good thing to collect user information and use that as a monetary uh, aspect, or maybe it's not a good idea to, to have this type of advertising model, which is leading to fake news and leading to misinformation being spread. And if we had thought a little bit differently on how to do what it is we're doing and maybe thought ahead of the curve, which so many people in the crypto space do, um, maybe we'd been in a better position and don't find us in the situation that we're in right now. So that, that's kind of, I, I still believe there's, there's hope. I still believe that change can happen. And I think it's about having discussions and, and seeing how change can happen by talking to problem solvers and putting it on the right direction uh, and, and speaking with people that are not about, not only maybe dismissive about what they've done, but if they want to learn and want to get on the right track and want to see where the future is heading, speak to some technologists that have seen it before and, and have understood for years, like 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 I and other have, have you know, been 10 years in the space so far in the crypto space and seeing it right away in 2012 for me, and those that even did it earlier, that this is something that's gonna be very powerful, more powerful than the, than the internet. And and encouraging those those company leaders to, to look at things differently and, uh, and look to see how they can do things that are providing more value for more people in the world and, and not just themselves or how they can do it to bring others along because the more you're helping other people, the more they'll help you yeah. is the way that I look at it. The more you're serving others, the more they're going to join you because their lives are getting better by them joining you on your mission. And that's how I think Rubens are
0: created. Amazing. Um, I, I, want to, uh, I want to just ask some rapid fire questions to pull some career insights from you just to, to close this off. But before, before we close it, um, if people want to reach out to you, where should they go? And also, after that, what do you want to be remembered for? When your career, your life is all said and done, so drop some socials, but then just close out what you want to be remembered for.
1: So I don't, I'm not really in social media very, okay. very much. I, for me, I, I learned that, that uh, you can get really lost in those things. It's yes, not can. my mission right now. Once I start um, putting my frameworks, I've got some papers coming out on the frameworks that I'm, I'm going to be getting out there. Anything I ever do on social media, it's got to have a positive thing for me. It's not about promoting something. It's not about. Um, so, you know, Twitter is something that I used to use a lot and I'll still check it every once in a while, but generally I've shut off any notification and stuff for social media for me. Um, but I would probably say once I start really coming forward with what I'm doing with perfect formula, um, that's probably the best place. And that's, that's Diorio Anthony. It's just my name reversed and it's, and it's not Delorio as a lot of people <laughs> think there's no L in my name. It's, it's three eyes, D I I O R I O Anthony. Um, Sans serif fonts can look the same L and, and capital I, so a lot of people think that it's actually DeLoreo, but it's not. So that's probably the best the best way for now. Um, uh, I, I, I plan on having some articles coming out that I'll be that I'll be writing um, and, and really putting out the framework so that my goal is to get into the hands as many people as possible. This framework that I use it's really worked for me, and I think if I can get that out and if I can use those frameworks to go kind of sector by sector, industry by industry. And take that framework through identifying who the, who the stakeholders are, what each stakeholder is good at, what they're bad at, and what problem each stakeholder have. That's really a key thing of my, of my formula my framework is if you can figure out what, what each stakeholder that you have in the mix is good at and utilize that to your advantage when you're trying to do it. If you can realize what they're bad at and get them away from doing that thing, because a lot of people are doing things that they're, they're not necessarily good at, like problem solving. And then the third thing is you, you can figure out what problems each stakeholder has and your elements of solutions have to have to encompass that as a solution that's kind of the the, the flow that I do when I do case studies from sector to sector whether it's in real estate or whether it's working with some government uh, leaders on on how they're going to create change in their company I can really take it through a flow that's that's I think can create some really productive outcomes so getting that framework out there in that formula and being able to say that that framework um, really help to create a lot of change and to create movements of, of individuals coming together for under common interests of, of just trying to be of service to others is kind of what I would would, would like to leave as as a mark if, of serving is 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 really an amazing thing and and it's really I think the way to happiness is is seeing things through others eyes and being able to do things to
0: help others. Amazing. Okay, that's that's great. Let's uh, let's do a couple rapid fire. Just to pull out some last career insights from you. Um, you've had an incredible, obviously, uh, incredible life. You've done incredible stuff. What was the biggest challenge that you've overcome in your personal or professional life? How'd you overcome it?
1: So for me, it's how do I stay in balance and how do I ensure that I'm ready to take on the large things that I want to do for the world? Um, I've had a tendency over the years to uh, take on too much and to get overwhelmed and kind of have a, a down cycle to to that up cycle and kind of going through these ups and ups and downs and I realize how do I, you know, I want to do greater things. It's always about what's the next big thing that I want to do. And if I can't stay balanced and ensure that my physical state, mental state, emotional state is all where it should be to take on things, um, then I'm going to get to in a situation where I feel it's going to be too much and I have to kind of do resets. So over the last few years, it's really about maintaining that balance. And the biggest thing that I've done is, is I go to bed early. I get up super early. Um, I'm usually up at uh, before four. Uh, taking time to myself, I do my workouts, I do my meditation. Uh, really, just slowing down is kind of the biggest thing that I've been able to, to do. I was always a very fast-paced child. It's just it's the way my mind works. I'm always looking to try to solve problems, I question why with everything. But without that balance and maintaining that balance, uh, things can get overwhelming. Anxiety can set in, and it, it it brings about fear, fear of not wanting to take on what it is you know that you're here to do. So for me, the biggest challenge was getting over and figuring out how I can put in my day-to-day life the balance that I need in order to tackle these large mountains that I want to tackle. So the more time I can spend uh, you know, on my own uh, in the early mornings before the sun comes up and slowing down my pace and being present and being mindful and um, really being grateful. I think that's, that's the biggest thing, being grateful for everything I have, being grateful for the things I've had in the past and... And knowing that everything will work out and, and being at a state where I can have that balance to, to tackle the large things that I wanna do, I think was the biggest challenge that I have had. And it's still something I'm working on and um, something that I'm, that I'm hopefully doing better with every day, but it's, it's, I got big, big objectives and big things that I wanna do and the biggest thing I need to do is make sure I'm staying balanced and doing that and making sure that I'm staying grounded and staying positive and staying um, in, in the presence of what I'm doing with everything. I think that's, that's the biggest thing
0: and that's the biggest thing that's helped me to, to do things as well. Uh, who was one person who had a major impact on your life? What did they teach you?
1: Um, I think it's super important that that we that I get my message out to children, so leaders and problem solvers. If we can create the next generation of leaders and problem solvers in children, um, that's something that that uh, I would also like to be able to, to 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 help mm-hmm. with. And I think Mr. Rogers was someone that really uh, not uh, Rogers in terms of Rogers communication, but <laughs> Mr. Rogers the uh, the, um, the, the, the TV show, um, the child TV show um, personality uh, really knew how to speak to children, really knew how to break down um, even what's going on that can be very intense topics. He was able to bring them to, to, to the children in ways to really get down to their level and be able to speak to them. And if I could do that with children, uh, that's something that I, that I um, would love to, to, to mimic or model after what he did. So he's one person that i say was was really important to me and and i'd love to be someone that can really get to the youth to create leaders and create problem solvers because it's it's something sorely sorely needed in this world
0: amazing um a book or podcast you'd recommend that you like that you go uh, ask people to check out
1: yeah i i love the daily stoic Mm -hmm. um daily stoic basically it's uh 365 meditations uh, each with one page per year sorry per day and it goes from just so many different topics and uh Reading, reading those either straight through or reading it one time, one at a time, has um, really helped me. It just, it's just, it's all about ways of, of mindsets of looking at the world, and um, it's, it helps me to kind of stay grounded in the things I do and realize, you know, I can impact things or things that I can't impact. And uh, for me, positivity has been something that's really important to me. I try to remove all negative words from my vocabulary because negative words and negative energies uh, create, create, you know, that's what, what you can become if that's what you're exuding so for me everything is about positivity and being open-minded and change and and trying to bring value and seeing the the, the good in all things and for me to stay grounded and actually with a with with the book the daily stoic has been been really great and uh, it's something over the last few years that i pick up quite frequently and go through the daily meditations Um, uh, each one uh, has comes with a quote from a from a famous uh, um, uh, philosopher um, like aristotle and and um, and seneca and so it's it's just little one page things that you can think about during the day and uh, if you do one of those a day and kind of keep it on your forefront through your mind for the day and then go through that that entire book it's something that's been very helpful for me when i do my retreats and silent retreats where i do fasting for a number of days and kind of disconnect from everything and spend like five seven days completely in silence and and just reading and writing um the daily stoke is one of the books i usually take when i do that i mean
0: that's a great recommendation so that's ryan holiday i'll I'll link that in the show notes but that's a, a great book ego is the enemy as well yeah. and uh, also obstacle is the way
1: or two of other ones I was like, those, are that, <laughs> those are good books very yeah, yeah I mean really the obstacle is the way yeah. the, the way that you can uh, challenges lead to your learnings and and failures lead to learnings and it's all part of life it's all great things to embrace and to be thankful for yeah
0: agreed agreed if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing what would it be? I don't
1: know. I always, I always struggle with those because I feel like if I did that, I'd change something that I don't want to change. That's so fair. Kind of that could be an answer too. Still, if you don't have to change if the yeah. obstacles away. Yeah. You don't have to change yeah. anything. I, I, I'm just so happy with where things have been. I'm happy to to be where I am right now. Everything is is the way things should happen, and everything in the future will be the way things happen. And that's the way I like to look Amazing. at. it.
0: Amazing. And lastly, last question: What does success mean to you?
1: Uh, I think. For me, success is, is doing something meaningful, something that I feel that I can help others with, something that I feel that uh, um, every day when I go to bed, that I feel that I've accomplished something of meaning that just isn't for myself, it's for others, and it had a, let, I've had an impact on other people's lives, and I've helped people with their problems and uh, helped people with their struggles, and uh, that to me is a successful day and uh, hopefully a successful life if I, if I keep focusing on those things.
0: indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.